everyone. My name is Brandon Laurie from the Blog and the Boys Network on SB Nation. Little known fact, I am a triplet and actually did a one-on-one -on -one documentary with quarterback Kenny Pickett. And you're listening to the Pro Sports Podcasters. We are the Pro Sports Podcasters, where no sport is left behind. It's time for another episode of the Pro Sports Podcasters with your hosts, Nee Wallace-Bruce, Corbert Durand, and Justin Williams. On this podcast, we have guests from all over the world, covering every sport from artistic gymnastics to weightlifting. We are something for every sports fan on PSP. Whether your interests are the athletes playing the game, the coaches, or the media, we've got you covered. Fun and informative, honest and engaging. You won't want to miss a single episode. So let's kick this off. BetUS Sportsbook is your ultimate destination for online betting. With sports betting, live betting, racebook, online slots, and online casino. It's available across the U.S. and Canada. Use the code PSP to receive a massive sign-up bonus. Welcome back to the ProSource Podcasters. I'm your co-host, Mr. Nemo's Bruce, and I'm joined by Mr. Corbett Ron, a.k.a. Kobe. Kobe, how you doing? I'm good, buddy. How you doing? Pretty good, pretty good. We're in the thick of the NFL season. It's all happening, and we're going to talk about America's team because I know how much you love talking about them, Kobe. So to to get into that and more, we've got one of the reporters on the Cowboys. He covers the, the team every week. It's just a Brandon Laurie. Brandon, how you doing? I'm doing good, guys. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, yeah, it's I was saying pre-show that it's great to be on the bye week uh, where you get to kind of kick your feet up and kind of relax and kind of take a look at the NFL from an overall landscape view and um, not so much centered around the Cowboys. But as, as you mentioned, America is always talking about the Cowboys. The world is talking about the Cowboys. There's always a microscope on everything Dallas Cowboys. So it makes my job a little easier in that sense, too. No doubt. And hey. The Cowboys aren't losing this week, so that's going to be a positive <laughs> for the fans out there. Exactly. Oh, yeah, for sure. Now, this season has been a little bit up and down. They, they're they above 500 on one hand, but it seems like there's still some discontent, particularly when you look at their, their last game before the bye against the Chargers. They got the win, but still some question marks about how the offense is run, how the team's moving. Brandon. What have you been seeing from this team so far this season? Yeah, it, you mentioned it. It's it's really uh, confusing, I think, is the best word to describe it for a lot of fans and how it's been because the Cowboys have been one of the better offenses in the NFL over the previous few, few seasons under Mike McCarthy. Of course, Kellen Moore was their offensive coordinator. And in this offseason, Mike McCarthy and Kellen Moore decide to part ways. And Mike McCarthy takes over as play caller with Brian Schottenheimer being elevated to offensive coordinator role. and. You know, you think at that point, OK, you know, Mike McCarthy has been around a long time. There was this story that came out uh, before when Mike McCarthy was uh, basically a free agent between his Packers time and, and going to the Cowboys where he was studying analytics. He was taking a look at NFL offenses and how things would 
evolve and what he can evolve as a play caller. But people aren't really seeing that right now. And, you know, you look at week one where the Cowboys won 40 to nothing against the New York Giants. There were a lot more wrinkles going on in the offense. And people think that it's just become a little more conservative. Definitely that kind of is predicated with the West Coast style of offense that Mike McCarthy wants to run. But when you're only putting up 20 points on a Los Angeles Chargers team that was given up at that time, almost 300 yards passing per game, dead last in the NFL in that category, a lot of fans thought that they can kind of get right on offense for that game. But I always say both teams come to play. Uh, the Chargers, of course, were, were trying to make sure that they were staying above 500 at that point. Uh, it didn't happen. So the Cowboys walked away with a win. But I think entering this by, they're really trying to figure out what their offensive identity is. And I think they're still trying to figure that out. Now, just staying with the offensive identity, and especially this season, now that Kellen Moore has left the building, as you said, I get the sense that perhaps the the reports around Dak Prescott's play last season where he threw a number of interceptions above average. I do feel like that has played into this level of conservatism. It it always looks like out there that, that Mike McCarthy doesn't trust Dak to take the risky play. How do you see that? Yeah, I, me personally, I, I don't think that's really the case. I think a lot of it has to deal with, like I mentioned, with the West Coast style, where they're not really taking a lot of deep shots down the field. I mean, even Troy Aikman on Monday night commented on it where they were back kind of close to their own end zone and on a third and 10 third and 11 play they just kind of take a quick pass to Brandon Cooks you know and it was short of the sticks and you know Troy Aikman was kind of fed up like you know you're not really taking a deep shot this is really what the offense is I think the goal for them is just to get ahead of the sticks on first and second down whether that's running the ball trying to get maybe four yards five yards and then when it comes to quick passes if you can get a five-yard gain, a seven-yard gain, you know, you're really getting first downs and you're kind of just marching down the field. So I think that this offense is kind of in a world where they're death by a thousand cuts. Like, I don't think that you're going to see as many explosive plays as what, what used to be uh, in the Cowboys offense, which, of course, a couple of players have been upset because of that. I know CeeDee Lamb was <laughs> vocal last week during the loss of the San Francisco 49ers game. Um, that he wished he got the ball a little bit more. And he's the best playmaker on the Cowboys offense. So you would think that that would be something that they're focusing on. It just hasn't really clicked. I just think that it's a transition period between, you know, Mike McCarthy now calling plays. And he's been there for a long time. But if he wants this style of offense being called, I don't think it has anything to do with the interception numbers. Because Dak historically has been very good with not turning the ball over. I just think last year, a lot of the problems had to deal with miscommunication between him and the receivers. They really spent a lot of time this offseason working on that. Uh, they went to a retreat down in Georgia to really kind of hone in um, sort of their chemistry as an offense. And I think that that's kind of helped Dak in this scenario. But of course, you know, he has four interceptions right now in the year, many of them coming in that 49ers loss. But I don't think it's more of a Mike McCarthy thing. I just think it's an overall offensive system. Yeah, okay. I have more questions around the passing game, but we'll get back to that. Yeah, I got to say that I don't think it's a lack of trust in Dak Prescott either. I, I think it's using what you have. Exactly. I mean, the, the Cowboys offensive line is ridiculous. It's so good. So you can expect to get a pretty good chunk of yardage with a run play every time you run one. So you can afford to be a little more frugal, really, <laughs> when, when it comes to not taking that many deep shots downfield. Like, I don't think it's necessary. And on top of that, you have such a strong defense. You have playmakers on defense. Playing that conservative game just makes sense for them. And I mean, sure, you're going to get criticized when you lose to the 
the 49ers, but the 49ers are essentially a, a similarly built team that's been doing it for longer with a, a few a few more playmakers on offense. And, you know, that's actually just taken a hit. So we'll, we'll see how things look further down the line. But I just think that the the Cowboys are playing the game they should be playing. Is that right. what you think, Brandon? Yeah, I, I think so, too. And there are a few things. You mentioned the run game. I know Tony Pollard, a lot of people were expecting him taking that number one role. Uh, from Ezekiel Elliott that, you know, he would have been explosive just as like he's always been in this offense. And people are a little disappointed that he's kind of right now around 13th kind of average of the league right now when it comes to total yardage with about 370 yards. But again, it's the type of defenses that they face to start the year. You have the Giants, which have a pretty stout defensive line. He, He did really well against them. I think the Cardinals, a lot of people look at that as you should have won that game. I do believe so too. But Jonathan Gannon came from Philadelphia. He's very familiar with the Cowboys' style of offense. I think that that was just a head coach that was able to get his defense to play above their talent level because of the opponent familiarity there. He had some success as well there. But then, of course, the 49ers, I just think, you know, they're just the number one team in the NFL. So Tony Pollard not really getting started, I think, has a lot to do with the offense not looking 100% right now. But you mentioned, I mean, their offensive line, when healthy, is, is one of the best in the NFL you know, Tyron Smith has stayed relatively healthy so far this year for his standards. Um, I know, you know, for the Cardinals game, they missed three offensive linemen with Tyler Biotish, the center, Zach Martin, the guard, and then Tyron Smith. So they've been kind of trying to make sure everything is not duct tape, but, you know, when it comes to losing a few of those guys that they have the depth needed. But I think just right now, defenses are playing really, really well. I think if you look at a lot of the numbers around the NFL and across a variety of teams, the defensive side of the ball has really stepped up. You look at the Kansas City Chiefs and Philadelphia Eagles, two teams that represented both the AFC and NFC in the Super Bowl last year. You know, they're not really hitting on all cylinders on offense right now. And you don't really hear the same conversation around them that you do with the Cowboys. I just think that we talked about at the top, the microscope that's on the Cowboys is always going to be center stage for them. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of Kansas City fans, a lot of Philadelphia fans are kind of a little uh, upset and questioning what's going on right now. But it's still early in the year. I, I always think that Thanksgiving, you know, as we get closer for the next few weeks, is a good litmus test to tell where teams are at. But pretty soon it'll get late too too quickly. And, and if the Cowboys don't figure it out on offense, they could be on the outside looking in for the playoffs. But I think it's something that they'll take the bye week to really work on. And then, you know, next week we should see something a little bit better. Yeah, I think when you, you mentioned the Philadelphia Eagles and the Kansas City Chiefs, I think when people look at those teams – I mean, the average fan always looks at offense first, right? That's that's what they're looking at. So with the Chiefs, you think to yourself, oh, they got Mahomes and Kelsey, they'll figure it out. Yeah. With the Eagles, you look at it like, oh, they got Hurts, but more importantly, they got A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. They'll figure it out. But but with the, the Cowboys, there's always this narrative around Dak about is he the guy? And then CeeDee Lamb is still so new and hasn't had the kind of – light shun on them that some of the other players have that I think there's a lack of trust so people just want to see it like they just want to see them blow people out so they can believe in them but I don't think that's the way they're built yeah I, I totally agree and you mentioned when it comes to CeeDee Lamb um, I wish I had the stats in front of me but I just posted it this week on on X or Twitter whatever people want to call it either way <laughs> yeah. right you know CeeDee Lamb is is still a very very young player in the NFL and when you look at where he ranks over the past four years and uh, many of the statistical categories, he ranks at around 10th, 5th, 1st in some categories, 2nd, 3rd. So he's really a top 10 wide receiver since he came into the league. And 
I think, like you mentioned, a lot of people are expecting him and Dak to kind of have the same chemistry that you see from a Patrick Mahomes to Travis Kelsey, yeah. uh, Cooper Cup and Matt Stafford, Justin Herbert, Keenan Allen. Mm-hmm. And I do think that last year they struggled at the first part of the year, but then really kind of found the rhythm towards the end. It's just I think you need to keep CeeDee Lamb involved. The 49ers game and this, the same thing with the Cardinals, Cardinals game, he wasn't really involved as much. And I think he's a volume player. You need to make sure that you're getting in the ball, whether it's on a quick screen, a slant, try and take a couple deep shots. I think that for him, it's just he needs that confidence. And then you'll start to see the spark kind of come through. And this past week against the Chargers, you know, he was, uh, I, I called it lucky number sevens. He had seven receptions on off of seven targets for seven first downs for 117 yards. So clearly something worked. His frustration really played into the fact that Dak really wanted to kind of focus on him uh, against the Chargers, and it was a good matchup, but you hope that that can kind of keep moving forward sort of around the same time it was last year when he kind of took off and then he became a Pro Bowl player. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it is it is an interesting point that you both raised, and I do wonder if part of that is from the fact that we've had some pretty extraordinary wide receiver draft classes in the last few years, and maybe we're seeing a bit of regression to the mean. I I should point out that week six of this NFL season was lowest scoring in terms of totals across all the matches since 2014. So sacks are also up, by the way. Like, Kobe and I, we like defense. We're cool with defense, so we don't mind that. But I know that, you know, Johnny John Street watching the game at the bar probably doesn't (laughs) want to see, you know, a 19-17 game. However... This is where we're at. Perhaps that might be a commentary on the, the preseason format nowadays where players aren't getting as many reps. Maybe some teams are in preseason form. Who knows? But I will say that the Dallas, they got weapons. They do have weapons. They also have a guy named Trey Lance. What's your take on the San Francisco uh, high draft pick? I'm not going to use the word bust, but the former quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers. Yeah, it's... uh. Boy, when when that storyline happened, I think a lot of Cowboys fans were like, you know, everything was going great. Everything was going smooth. It's like, why do we have to kind of throw this storyline out there? Uh, kind of gives a little bit more fuel to the to the national media to run with. But, you know, it, it's way too early to tell. Uh, of course, he didn't really get any, if at all, he didn't get any preseason action. He's still learning the offense. There's a lot of times where pregame, He's working with Brian Schottenheimer, Scott Tolzien, the quarterback's coach for the Cowboys, really just working on concepts, the fundamentals of this offense. So he's really playing catch up right now. And I think that you'll see that throughout the rest of the year. I I highly doubt he'll be ever the number two for this year because of the fact that he's still learning, barring any injuries to Cooper Rush. I, I think he'll just be that emergency third quarterback for the rest of the season. And then next year, you just see where he's at. It'll be definitely interesting because where the Cowboys are with Dak Prescott, I mean, I'm all for players making their money. I'm all for, you know, making sure that you optimize your your window to make as much as possible. And Dak did it the right way with his last contract, where now instead of uh, kind of coming to the table next year, he signed a four-year deal as opposed to doing a five-year deal. I think that was really where the hang-up was between him and the front office. The Cowboys want a sort of longer deal. This way they have a little bit more control, can kind of push money down the line. But right now, as it stands, Dak Prescott is going to be a cap hit of around $60 million last year, which is just way too high. Uh, And he still has one more year left on his deal. So that sort of leaves the Cowboys to kind of be painted in a corner where they have to figure out if they're going to extend him next year, lower that cap hit, and then he might be around for 
for a new contract, but they still want to figure out, is he the guy that is long-term? I do think that they really believe in Dak, that they believe in, in his playmaking ability when Jerry Jones talks on the radio each week and he displays his confidence in Dak Prescott. I firmly believe that that's not just he's saying it just to make Dak feel okay. I genuinely believe that he feels that way. And I think Trey Lance, it's like if you can come in and compete for the number two spot, then great. You have a high upside backup that you know you can compete with Cooper Rush. Cooper Rush is on a two-year deal, so maybe you kind of keep them around. The Cowboys kept three quarterbacks even before, you know, with Will Greer when he was here for the past few seasons. So it's not out of the ordinary for them to keep three. But again, if a new head coach comes in, if they, you know, move on from Mike McCarthy, if the season goes on a tailspin, you never know. A new head coach could come in and say, well, no, I want to see what Trey Lance has and maybe compete with Dak. And then kind of you're wiping the board clean. But I think that's way too early to talk about. I think as it stands right now, I think it was just more of a leverage move to try and say, like, listen, well, we have a guy here, you know, if you're going to kind of hold out for a larger sum for the contract. But I don't see that being the case. Okay. Now, you, you mentioned a couple of names, one of them, Will Greer. Now, he's, he's had a couple of solid preseasons in terms of his reps and his performance. He's now sitting on the Patriots, who are, hmm, they're the Patriots. They're just not, you know, your uncle's Patriots. Yeah. Um, <laughs> can we see a world where Will Greer gets a start this season over Matt Jones? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that's highly possible. They really have four quarterbacks, Cunningham, the, the, the rookie, who I know got a lot of preseason buzz, kind of looking at them from afar. He's sort of like a utility player. I know they said that they want to get him maybe at wide receiver and quarterback as well. Bailey Zappi's in and out of the practice squad active roster. I don't think they really believe in him. And, you know, I think if it gets to the point by the end of the year, you just want to see what you have and evaluate the quarterback position in its entirety. Why not give Will Greer a shot? I thought that he performed really well. Cowboys final preseason game. Uh, against the Raiders. I think he was thrown into a very tough position when the Cowboys traded for Lance and kind of let Greer know that that he wasn't going to be coming back as a Cowboy. I think everybody in the locker room loved him, specifically Dak and him were were really close. They always worked out in the offseason together, got better together. Greer always looked up to Dak. So I think that was a really tough spot for him. But him to come out and perform really well in that game, I think spoke volumes of him as, as a football player and as a man and and uh, you know a locker room teammate. So when he went to Cincinnati, I thought he might might have gotten a start there with Joe Burrow doing dealing with the calf, but didn't work out. Now he's in New England. I think he's in a good spot. You know, if if the Patriots season doesn't end up the way that a lot of Patriots fans hope, uh, I think that if they're going to be having a losing record within the next few weeks, maybe they give him a shot for about two starts and see where he's at. But I, I would say it's leaning more towards I'll, I'll say seventy five percent. Uh, confident level that that he gets to start at some point this year. Okay. Well, I know Kobe and I were in Toronto. We're pretty close to Buffalo, and the fans there, they're enjoying the the demise of the Patriots, but they're also praying that the Patriots don't finish too high up the draft order because they don't want to see another generational quarterback at Fox for any time soon. Now, one of the reasons for the Patriots' issues has been roster construction. Belichick hasn't had the best of drafts in years, and... That reminds me of another uh, gentleman in the front office, Dallas. Uh, Jerry Jones has had a reputation. I know he's passed things over to Stephen Jones in recent years, but is it true when what people say about how Jerry Jones has constructed the roster in the past, or is that just national media um, propaganda, if you will? Yeah, I, I think a lot of it's national media. Jerry still has a, the final say when it comes to a lot of the big decisions, but him and Stephen Jones really work well together and close together. And then there's also a gentleman 
director of player personnel, Will McClay, who's in the front office as well. And I think he's the guy that's behind a lot of the draft um, analysis, heads the draft. A lot of the picks are a lot uh, of his discussions and what he has with Stephen Jones. So he's really been the the brain trust behind the Cowboys construction over the past few years. And they have drafted re- really well. And, you know, you'll hear the story about uh, the, the Zach Martin, Johnny Manziel pick. Mm. The DallasCowboys.com did a great documentary about sort of war room stories from the Cowboys time and, and, and the draft. And they do a great job when it comes to, to the draft. And I, I think that what you're seeing from the previous few years is that they've had a lot of success with players like a Tyler Smith, where, you know, he comes into the draft. Not a lot of people are talking about him. It's more of a developmental player. And all of a sudden the Cowboys take him in the first round. The fans are completely upset. They heard that he led the uh, all of NCAA in or the FBS rather in penalties and uh, that they were just coming off of a season where the Cowboys were having a problem with penalties. So it's like, why would you draft somebody who's struggling in the area that we're trying to correct? But then Tyler Smith has turned into a great, uh, not only left guard, but last year he filled in admirably at left tackle. So they just, they know what they're doing. I trust them completely um, when it comes to the evaluation process. This draft, it's sort of a wait and see. I always think that when you're picking at the back end of each round, you're really kind of picking, like if you're picking at in the 20s, you're really looking at the second round if it's in the first round. So for them, they took Mozzie Smith, the defensive tackle in the first round. He hasn't really flashed as much, but that's not his position. You know, he's more of a nose tackle and kind of does like the dirty yards and gets the the dirty plays and the hidden stats in his uh, position. So I think it's just a, a draft where the Cowboys were picking at the back end. They had to try and find as much value as possible. The draft in itself wasn't the best with regards to top flight talent. It was really just the middle of it is where you kind of find the majority of the good players. And I thought that they hit a few good names, but DeMarvin Overshone, I thought was going to be playing a, a really good role for them this year. Unfortunately, he had the torn ACL in the preseason and hasn't been able to get on the field yet. But I think next year, that's a player to kind of keep an eye out for, for the Cowboys. Yeah, for sure. And they did also pick up... Uh... The other linebacker, Clark, he's doing quite well. He's got almost 40 tackles on the season. And I guess a lot more is going to be asked of him with Overshone and also Leighton Van Der Esch on IR. What are, you, what are you seeing in terms of the linebacker core, particularly with the way Dan Quinn runs his defense? It's uh, it's probably their weakest spot on defense. We talked about how dominant their their team is um, at the top on defense. Of course, when you have someone like Mike Parsons, Demarcus Lawrence, their safety group is among the best in the NFL with their trio that they have. So I think with every team, it's like you can't plug all the holes. You just do the best you can with making sure teams don't attack the weaknesses. And the Cowboys linebacker is an area in which they struggle with. They use their safety group a lot to kind of fill the void if, if they need sort of like a hybrid linebacker. That's what Dan Quinn is, is, is sort of like his specialty. Marquis Bell, he was a rookie last year. He's a second player, second year player out of uh, HBCU, Florida A&M. Uh, great, great player. He had a great game last week against the Chargers. So I could see him as somebody developing, moving forward into like a hybrid linebacker role. But you mentioned the injuries. You know, LVE went down on IR. Overshone has been missing time all season because of injury. They just signed Rashawn Evans last week to their practice squad, a former first-round pick of the Titans, spent time with the Atlanta Falcons and most recently with the Philadelphia Eagles on their practice squad. So he's a veteran player that you hope can kind of step in and fill that missing void by LVE. But Damone Clark has certainly 
you know, I think there's been some bumps in the road, but I think he certainly improved, especially in his second year. Last year, he was dealing with the neck injury that kept him sidelined, or spine injury, rather, that many people thought he wouldn't be able to play again. He fell in the draft. The Cowboys picked him up in the fifth round. And I think people were just stunned he was able to get on the field last year. So I think it was sort of a learning curve last year, sort of a training camp trial by fire. This year, he's gotten better each and every week. Um, I thought last week he had a great game against the Patriots. He had a, uh, probably the best game of, of his year so far. So I think it's a work in progress. But if they add somebody through trade, I think the one position to kind of keep an eye on would be linebacker, um, given the depth that they have right now. All right, you've answered my next question for me because I was going to say that, yeah, Quinn, I remember him in Atlanta. Like you said, he, he does like to deploy safeties in that linebacker position. But the way Dallas are in isolation, the defense is fine. But when you're coming up against run-heavy teams like the 49ers and the Eagles, if if they can find a bigger body out there, it might help them. But, yeah, it, I'm sure if Steven or the other gentleman you mentioned get on the phone, they can uh, maybe get a value pickup between now and the trade deadline. Well, and that's and that's exactly what they did last year. They traded for Jonathan Hankins, uh, the defensive tackle, which, again, like I said, defensive tackle is not a sexy position in the NFL for mm. fans to look at. Like you mentioned, Johnny Football just kind of sitting at the bar. He's not really looking at uh, defensive tackle, but he's one of their most important pieces on defense because of how dominant he is with stopping the run. They were one of the best teams against uh, rushing attacks last year with him on the field. I forget what the percentage was for success rate, but it was uh, an absurd number. So... If he's on the field, they feel very confident in stopping the run. But they traded a fifth-round pick for him last year. The Cowboys, of course, traded a few fifth-round picks this year for Brandon Cooks and Stephon Gilmore. So next year, they don't really have any fifths. Uh, They have a few sixths potentially coming with the compensatory picks. They have a fourth. So it's sort of like if they do make a move, what's the value of the player, what you're looking at, and what are you willing to give up? I think that's why they kind of brought in a guy off the street like a Rashawn Evans where you don't have to give up a draft pick for him. He's still a highly touted veteran player that you hope can plug in this week um, after having the bye week to kind of learn the defense a little bit more. And so I think that might be the route that they go. But if they do want to trade for somebody, it's sort of like you're either going to trade a higher pick or maybe like a day three, sixth round, seventh round pick. And what's the value that you're going to get for that player? Exactly. Yeah, Brandon, I'm going to assume that you've been a fan of NFL football way before you became a beat reporter or sports (laughs) writer, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you chose Rutgers for a reason, I take it? Yeah, you know, not really for the football. Okay. Uh, yeah, definitely more for the school and the uh, proximity for where I lived. I wish the football would have been great. Um, there's certainly a history there. And yeah. you would think with uh, Greg Schiano being back, I mean, listen, they're, I think, 5-2 and two on the year so far right now, 4-2. and two, So uh, they're, they're having a good year. Uh, knock on wood, everything goes according to plan. They're playing, they're, they're playing Indiana, I think, today, uh, as we're speaking. I, I don't want to take a look at the score until the game's over. This way I can really be a bandwagon fan when they have success. Now, I mean, of course, the expectations for America's team are always high, but it's not that long ago that the NFC was like a gauntlet to to get your way to the Super Bowl. Yeah. I mean, I am a low-key Seahawks fan, and there was a time where the NFC West, you expected every team to make the playoffs. But that shifted in the last few years. I'd say in the last five years or so, and now most of the power is in the AFC, and the NFC only has a handful of teams that people really consider contenders. Has that increased the expectations for the Dallas Cowboys? Oh, I think that was the main goal for them this year is that the NFC was wide open. When you look at the teams that were in sort of this 
playoff contention sort of and you look at power rankings and everything you know yeah. who would be the the top team from the nfc it was really the eagles the 49ers and the cowboys and then that's it it was sort of like let's wait and see what happens with the nfc of course the lions have surprised a lot of people i i'm not surprised they had a lot of success last year i think they're 13 and 3 mm-hmm. and uh over their last few games 16 games so they've done really well and so the cowboys it was sort of like it was Everything was up for grabs. Aaron Rodgers is now out of the NFC. Tom Brady retired. And those were sort of the last two guys from the old regime that a lot of Cowboys fans were always worried about. And so it's like, does Jalen Hurts scare you? Well, not really, at least for for Cowboys fans. Um, And then for the 49ers, it's like, is Brock Purdy the real deal? And, you know, we've seen so far this year that everything is still hitting on all cylinders. Um, I think the the Cleveland game is is a fluke for them. Uh, we mentioned our, our love for defense. I mean, the Cleveland Browns are a great defensive team this year. So I think that they're giving a lot of people trouble. So it's sort of like when you look at the Cowboys and where they stack up, I think now they've fallen down to that second tier. They're no longer in that first tier with the 49ers, with the Eagles, just because I think they need to earn that back a little bit. The Cardinals loss hurt. The 49ers loss or blowout rather definitely hurt. So, you know, in a few weeks, they have the Rams coming up after the bye, and then it's at Philadelphia. I think that's sort of your next litmus test. It's like, okay, if you can't beat the top team in the NFC, can you beat the second team? And then now you start going down the list, and they'll have the Giants and Commanders as well. But I think their next test in that sort of third tier will be versus Seattle at home in November. I think Seattle's a great team. They're sort of in that wild card mix, and it's like if they can't beat them, then where do you stack up? And then they have the Lions to kind of close out in the NFC. So if, if the Cowboys fans are trying to figure out where the Cowboys stack up in the NFC, they're versing a lot of contenders over the next few weeks. And I think that if they can win all three, then they're right back in the conversation as in that first tier. But if they lose two out of three or only win one, I think then you're going to start talking about, well, can they even make it as a wild card team in the playoffs? Are the commanders a like benefiting from a soft schedule to start the season or are the commanders legit? I I don't know what the, what the commanders are. <laughs> you know, again, watching it from afar, being on the East Coast, I, I know a lot of commanders fans, especially where I live. And, you know, I think their record right now is is perfect for who they are. They're at 500. They're three and three, three wins, three losses. The, the teams that they've won against, you have the Falcons, the Broncos and the Cardinals. It's like. Yep. Well, the Broncos aren't really that great. The Cardinals are proven to be better than the absolute basement that they were in before to start the year. And the Falcons, again, I think they're just right in that mix with the Commanders. I think when you're looking at the seventh wildcard team, I think this is going to be a race between the Falcons and the Commanders by the end of the year because they fit that same mold of, well, we need somebody else to make it to the, into the playoffs and what's the best of the, the worst. And yeah. I think that for the Commanders, they're still finding their way. Um, of course, Eric Bieniemy is coming over from Kansas City as their offensive coordinator. He's had a lot of success with Patrick Mahomes and sort of trying to get out from the shadow of Andy Reid. I, I've liked what I've seen from his offense so far with the Commanders, but you know they're not really getting somebody like a Terry McLaurin involved. They're not getting Jahan Dotson, their first round pick last year, involved. It's guys like Curtis Samuel, and um, there's another guy from North Carolina that Sam Howell had a connection with back in college. Like they, they're not really guys that you would expect and. So I think that's the frustrating part for a lot of fans because it's like they could have beaten the Bears, the Justin Fields Bears, but they just didn't get their playmakers involved. I think Sam Howell has has shown to be decent. You know, I think it's kind of like Taylor Heineke 2.0, but he he does have a little bit more playmaking ability. 
So it'll be interesting to see. I think that they're playing the Cowboys for the first time on Thanksgiving, which is usually a staple uh, for for them. Seemingly, it's like Cowboys and an NFC East opponent on Thanksgiving. But I think that'll be sort of a test for them because their next few games, they have, of course, the Giants, the Eagles, and the Patriots. Pretty much two out of three, you could probably win. You know, see where you stack up again with the Eagles, which they lost a close game to earlier in the year. And then it's Seahawks, Giants, Cowboys. So... I mean, if they go two and five in that stretch, it's like, is that really going to tell us anything about them? I think it'll just kind of confirm a team that's sort of in transition with new ownership. So Cowboys fans don't see them as a real threat to them? No, I, I think really it's it's more so the Giants. And it, it, for the Commanders, it's just the little brother that kind of just keeps poking you and bothering you a little bit. <laughs> yeah, 100%. <laughs> they, have been a, they have been a joke for at least 20 years or however long Dan Snyder was running the, New ownership. Running the place. New ownership. There we go. And, so, And I have to say, I'm so happy for that fan base. Like for me, <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I've been a, a Dallas fan for forever. Now it's sort of transitioned to just being more professional about how I cover the NFL. But for the Commanders... I'm so happy. It's like between all the name changes, especially the past few years where just so much in flux. And, you know, when you you see the videos and again, you can't take everything what you see on X or Twitter uh, mm. as fact. But the great part about it is when something happens in the moment, you get to really see a real reaction. And when they have a sewer pipe breaking on the fans in FedEx field, that's where, you know, it's it's an absolute low point uh, for the commanders a few years ago when that happened. And you have the, the gate collapsing on Jalen Hurts and all that stuff. So, yeah, they need to uh, they need a new ownership and I'm happy they got it. There you go. Now, speaking of ownership and running franchises, it's fantasy season. We're about halfway through. Some teams need a little bit more help than others. I, I will admit that I lost to Kobe recently. Actually, I lost. <laughs> uh, the household did a double. I lost to Amy as well. So That's shout right. Out to Amy. Now, tell us some some names from the Cowboys we should look out for in fantasy. Is Rico Doddle one of them? Is he going to help us out some weeks? Yeah, I, I wouldn't really circle him as much. Um, I will say that you are talking to a former two-time uh, fantasy champion of his of his league with with his family. So, uh, but I also am now two and four on the year, ninth place out of ten on the year. So uh, again, just like the, just like the Commanders, I'm up and down. Um, <laughs> so take it with a grain of salt. But you know, the second half of the season for Dak, it's like what we talked about with offense. Like if you're looking for a quarterback, like I'm in a two quarterback league where right now, like. Two weeks ago, I had Anthony Richardson, Justin Fields, and Justin Herbert. I was living on easy street because that's when they had their blow-up games. It's sort of like Justin Fields had 29 points on my bench, and he was the lowest-scoring quarterback for the week. So I was living large, but then all of a sudden now Anthony Richardson is hurt, Justin Fields is hurt, and now I have Justin Herbert and Tyson Bajan as my quarterback. So that that's that's the world that we live in right now. But I'll say when it comes to Dak, it's like a lot of people – they see that he's not putting up the the fantasy numbers that he was again under Kellen Moore in the offense. But if he gets his mobility going, scoring rushing touchdowns, the Cowboys have struggled in the red zone. And one of the ways that they have been really great over the past few years, and even throughout Dak's career, is a read option play in the red zone. Maybe when you get into the 10-yard line, uh, of course, the run that he had against the Chargers was a little bit longer. Um, I think it was the longest run by a quarterback since 2010 with John Kittness. So that's a throwback. But if he can get his mobility going, sort of running the football, then he kind of starts upping his fantasy value. 
I mean, I think right now as it stands, I think Desmond Ritter might have more fantasy points than Dak Prescott, and nobody ever thought that that would be possible entering the year. So I think if you want to kind of have a sleeper quarterback pick, I think Dak is certainly out there because you look at the teams that they're going to be playing over the next few weeks, the Rams, the Eagles, sort of banged up secondaries, especially young. They have, of course, the Giants again, the Commanders twice on their schedule. Uh, The Dolphins could be an absolute shootout between both teams, especially with the Cowboys having to play catch-up. And then, you know, the late-season games like Buffalo and then the, the Lions game, you might need sort of an extra gear from Dak to kind of win those games. So that's where you could see maybe the rushing touchdowns happen. So I would look at him. And then the second name, too, as a sleeper pick would be Brandon Cooks. I always say on our podcast that I record uh, on bloggingtheboys.com is, you know, us Brandons, we know how to perform when it matters most. Uh, The Cowboys have Brandon Aubrey as their kicker. He's been solid throughout the year, actually better than solid. Nobody thought he would actually be where he's at right now, but he's 16 for 16 in field goal attempts this year. So that's kind of like a kicker you can keep an eye on. Uh, But then Brandon Cooks specifically, Struggled to get involved in the early part of the season on offense. Finally got his first touchdown on Monday night. So if they want to start stretching the field, looking for those explosive plays that have been lacking, Dak and him really found uh, chemistry this offseason in training camp that everybody was kind of buzzing about. And we just haven't seen that. So if that starts to click, you know, maybe a 50-yard touchdown each game or something like that, um, you could look for Brandon Cooks to start getting involved a little bit more too. Yeah, okay. Uh I did draft Brandon Cooks with that hope in mind. Yeah. Hope that that production would oh, come me, me more immediately. <laughs> but, um, yeah, okay, maybe I'll run out and see if he's on the wave wire. But, okay. I, I, the, the, I'm definitely going to have a look at the kicker, though, because I'm going to have a problem with a kicker for, for sure. And Brandon, Gus Edwards or Isaiah Pacheco? Uh, I would go Isaiah Pacheco. And I say that because, I mean, both matchups, people were giving the Chargers defense uh, a lot of flack. I think their pass defense is way worse than their run defense. The Tony Pollard was really held in check and was used more as a pass catcher. So I think Pacheco will get, like if you're in a full PPR league, I think Pacheco will get a lot of touches this week, especially with them trying to still find their way on offense. For Gus Edwards, they're going against a really, really tough Lions team right now. I, I think the game is in Detroit, so you have that home field advantage for the Lions. And so it's just one of those situations. No, it's at Baltimore. I'm looking at my phone right now. Out at Baltimore. I just think the Lions right now are playing very well on defense. And I think that the Ravens are still trying to find their identity, just like the Cowboys are on offense with a new offensive coordinator. Lamar Jackson has played really well this year, but they're still trying to find their number one wide out. They're still trying to find their rushing attack. J.K. Dobbins, of course, I feel so bad for him, you know, it, oh, his yeah. career has just been marred by injuries. So I, I've always liked Gus Edwards, but if I had to choose between the two, go with Pacheco. I, I like him at going against the Chargers. And you feel the same way season long too, I guess. Yeah, I would say so. Because uh, another guy that I had stashed on my bench who I still have is Keaton Mitchell, the rookie for the Ravens. And I know they talked about maybe getting him a little bit more involved. I liked what I saw from him in the preseason. And for me, it would be a real Ravens thing to go with an undrafted rookie to be your leading rusher for, for the back half of the season. Um, and I don't think that would surprise anybody. So I, I could see that being a possibility. And then maybe they have somebody else kind of pull from the street. You know, I know they had Melvin Gordon for a while. It just seems like a revolving door. Whereas for the Chiefs, Pacheco is sort of solidified as that guy. And I wouldn't even be shocked if uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire gets moved potentially for, for another team if they want to pick him up because they still have Jarek McKinnon too. Now, there's a lot of chatter on social media currently about 
let's get some NFL players to the Paris Olympics for the flag football. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. If you could have a couple of players on that team from the NFL, who would they be? Uh, you know, a lot of people have, have put in their, their thoughts on that. I would like to throw my two cents out there. Just just get all the joystick players. You know, the ones where – because I think that's that's where flag football is most important, right? Like speed. you want – yeah, you want speed on the field. So I think your Tyreek Hills, your Christian McCaffrey's, anybody that's not a Cowboys player, you know, like put them in, in, in Paris. You know, we don't need to, to risk injury here. That's the one thing I, I was always curious about is, you know, they're saying that, that the NFL is promoting their players to go and participate in this. But again, now it's like, where does the ownership fall on this? That's because, right. you know, it's different where not saying basketball is less prone to injury than football, but you know, when you see a lot of these, these players, especially in flag football, I think it was just this past year where Miles Garrett, something happened to him in the flag football game. And I mm. think he had like a broken foot or something like that happened that he was recovering. And he's a defensive player. It's like, you know, something could just happen. The guy gets tangled up. The one thing I always think about too, is like a lot of guys in America, like we, we've been playing football for forever. A lot of these countries, they are starting to learn about football. So it's like, you don't want somebody to kind of make a wrong move, just trying to still learn the game. And then all of a sudden it comes at a cost of an injury of a player. And it's nothing against anybody that's still learning the game. That's great. I'm all for growing the game, but you just think about that a little bit more where, you know, players with these million, million dollar deals, do you really want them getting in harm's way for, for something that, you know, isn't relative to the NFL season and a Super Bowl aspiration. So uh, I, I think it's, it, it's up to the ownership. It's up to the players. If it turns out that that we send a lot of NFL players over there, active players like a Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, great. All the more power to to the U.S. for doing that. But it'll be interesting to see what those discussions will, will have down the line. You think it's going to benefit the NFL in the long run? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, I mean, we've seen recently that they decided to take the Pro Bowl uh, games and, and make it with flag football. And it's no longer, you know, contact. I think that just the Pro Bowl in general was kind of on its way out and they kind of found a, a new way to just reinvent it. And flag football is very popular, um, especially over in the UK. I know when when the NFL was over there for their international series, um, they were talking about flag football is very popular over in the UK. So wow. I think I think the game is is growing, starting with flag football, because you don't have to worry about contact and you know how to tackle properly. It's a little bit safer as you're still trying to learn the game. So I think that it would be great for the NFL with their overall reach. But then when you think about it, I mean, I was thinking about this the other day, like 2028, that means all the players that are currently active that we would say, oh, like, it would be great to see Justin Jefferson. Well, he'll be a little bit older by the time 2028 rolls around. So right. how much of the players that we see right now are going to be playing in that, in that game? Not entirely sure. Although I will say I would not be shocked if someone like a Kyle Shanahan wants to go over and, and coach that team. I think that would be pretty impressive to see. Um, you know what? Even to Mike McDaniel, give me Mike McDaniel as the offensive uh, coordinator, head coach for for the international flag football team. Are they allowed to stiff arm to avoid getting the flags taken? Does anybody know this? I'm not too sure. That I don't I know, but I, I, I've seen like, it. I think I, I've seen it happen. I, I've seen it in flag football games. I just don't know what the the rules are around it. But they're allowed to stiff arm. Like that's a scary advantage. 
Yeah. Well, and, and I know, I mean, if we were doing backyard, you know, uh, brother on brother rules here, um, it would definitely be, you know, schoolyard football. Yeah. Uh, but I just think, yeah, when, when it comes to flag, I mean, the U.S. has a clear advantage because, like I said, been playing the game for a long time. But again, I wouldn't be shocked. There's a lot of talented players. The International Pathway Program for the NFL has really got a lot of great players through it before in the past. The Cowboys had uh, Isaac Alarcon, an offensive tackle from Mexico who they were developing on their practice squad for, for many, many years. He transitioned to defensive tackle. Uh, I believe he's no longer on the team because he ran out of eligibility for him to be a, an exemption on the roster. But he was with them for a long time. And then F.A. Obata was actually on the Cowboys in the past. And he floated between Carolina. I think he's with Washington right now. And he's developed into a pretty good rotational pass rusher. So they, they're doing really, really good work with the International Pathway Program. I think Boringer was the wide receiver that the Minnesota Vikings drafted from Germany a few years back. So I wouldn't be shocked if there's a lot of players um, and Japan. I actually have seen is sneaky good with their football players too. Um, and what they have going on. So I wouldn't be shocked if there's a lot more talent out there than what we think. Yeah. I'm interested in seeing it. I, I actually can't wait to see it. Hey, let's not forget Canada. Uh, and that too. Yes, of course. Of course. Neville Gallimore is Canadian. I should point that out. And yes. And Mike McDaniel does run a CFL offense effectively with all the motions and the fast pace. So, I think it'll be down to Nathan Rock to, to lead Canada to victory in 2028. <laughs> you know, he is a great player. I I saw uh, some highlights when I, of course, when he made that ridiculous touchdown throw against the Cowboys. I said, all right, I need to learn about Nathan, uh, the uh, the Rourke. I, I call him the Rock. You know, he he's a special player. He has that sort of moxie that you want from the quarterback position. And if they can keep developing him to turn into sort of what Gardner Minshew was at the time for them, it just seems like the Jaguars really have a, you know, after Blake Bortles, almost like a gunslinger quarterback room um, and sort of developing these guys, pulling them out of no- nowhere. I mean, kudos to him uh, for making the transition to the NFL level, you know, making it through training camp. And he was special in the preseason. I really liked what I saw from him. So keep it up. I mean, he would be a good player, too, for that flag football team. Absolutely. Now, Brandon, tell our listeners a little bit more about where they can find your work and also where they can find you on social media. Yeah, it's going to be uh, on X on Twitter at, at Brandon is right. That is uh, W-R-I-T-E, not R-I-G-H-T. Again, I'm all about the puns. I think I'm a punny guy, so uh, I try and put that in my work. So you can find me on there. And then anything on bloggingtheboys.com where I cover the Cowboys and, and where we everybody does fantastic work on that site. And I also have a podcast that comes out every Tuesday morning, the Writer's Block Podcast that I've been doing for the past year and a half now. So you can check out all of that stuff. And I've been trying to find a little bit more of an, of a niche on uh, Twitter when it comes to what I'm putting out content wise. And I started doing a lot more threads with regards to previewing matchups and kind of taking a look at the Cowboys that people seem to enjoy. So you can check out all that work on there too. Honestly, Brandon, the fact that you've been able to find anything on that X or Twitter, whatever we call it nowadays, <laughs> got to salute you for that. Thank no. you, yeah. <laughs> Before we let you get up, get on with the rest of your weekend, tell our listeners a bold prediction for the rest of 2023. Could be Cowboys, could be NFL, could be anything. Oh, man. I think let, let's be bold and say that the Detroit Lions make the NFC Championship game. Um, I think that would be great. I think the Dolphins... The Dolphins are just unstoppable, it seems like, right now. I know they had the one hiccup, but, I mean, just what they're doing on offense, it's just – it's an entire track meet. I mean, 
you can't put up 70 points in an NFL game and tell me that you're not a legit contender. I know the NFL media, uh, national media rather, will always have a talking point saying, well, how much can this last? I, I think they're a really good team. So you know what? Let's throw a Dolphins-Lions Super Bowl uh, in there. I think that would be just insane between Mike McDaniel and Dan Campbell, two of the polar opposite head coaches that you could find in the NFL. Um, but I think that would be great, great viewing for for everybody, really. But then, you know, of course, that doesn't mean the Cowboys get there for, for another year in a row. But, you know, maybe they make the championship game, which would be a, a pat on the back for everybody. There we go. There we go. Well, appreciate your time, Brandon. It's been a pleasure to have you on. Great having you on, buddy. No, thank you guys. I really, really appreciate it. Always good talking with you. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. For even more of your favorite sports content, be sure to visit the website www.prosportspodcasters.com. On our website, you will find our sports blog, full podcast library, access to our YouTube channel, and deals from our affiliate partners. You can also sign up to become a PSP Insider and get exclusive access to our insider tips, sponsor giveaways, and insider newsletter. So don't miss out on the full Pro Sports Podcasters experience, where no sport is left behind.